You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Well, today we continue our series, uh, Liar, Liar, Pants on Fire. Uh, not the pants part, but we've been uh, unpacking or, or exposing Satan's favorite strategies. Uh, look at the enemy through his favorite lies that he uh, tries to stumble and trick us up with. And uh, today is a, is a is a is one that's going to be uh, more on the meddling side. So um, why don't you turn to somebody next to you and say, um, I'm not going to get mad at Pastor Ted today. All right. And then say to you and then and then tell the other person next to you, say, but I'm going to take it personal. OK, because there might be some things that are for you. And I want you to make sure that you're not looking at it through the eyes of somebody else or for somebody else, but that you would examine uh, what we're going to talk about today uh, for yourself. You see, there's a perception of Satan that he's just this scary kind of horned, gross, maggot infested, you know, beast. But he's actually, the Bible says, quite beautiful. And he often comes in the appearance of things that are good. He comes as an angel of light. So we're hoping that you will have a better understanding of who he is and, uh, and, 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 and realize that some of those things in your life that appear to be good or actually might possibly be something enemy is using to lead you astray. So today we're going to talk about one that uh, uh, maybe you have said yourself is that is if it feels right, it can't be wrong. That's the lie we're going to look at tonight. If it feels right, it can't be wrong. God made me uh, this way. God made me to be happy, and this makes me happy. So uh, how can it be wrong if I'm happy, if it makes me right? And uh, I do want to let you know that I'm going to be leaning on a teaching that's similar to this by Larry Osborne. And uh, he is uh, kind of a, he doesn't realize it, but he kind of mentors me through some areas. So um I want to challenge you to have your heart open to be able to receive it. The core of this lie is the idea that we somehow have the ability to to guide and control our own life. In uh, Genesis, uh, we looked at this a few weeks ago, chapter 3, verse 6. Let's look at it again. It says, uh, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food. And that, now, here's the backstory: Adam and Eve. Created perfect in a beautiful place, put in a garden. God said you could eat anything you want except for that one because I want you to follow me with obedience, not because you're robots. So I'm going to give you the option to uh, to disobey, but I, I want it to be your choice to follow me, not something that you're forced to do. Uh, well, they were enticed by the enemy, the serpent, uh, who was uh, being used by the devil to uh, to lead them astray. He lied to them. And he said, you know, God's not going to hurt you. You're not going to die. You're going to be a lot like God if you eat this and all these sort of things. We looked at that a couple of weeks ago. But uh, so the women saw that the tree was good for food, possibly because maybe the serpent had already eaten and it looked really good. It looked good. It looked delicious. And she says, and it was a delight to her eyes. Man, this, it was pretty. Maybe it was very colorful. Maybe she was really hungry and, uh, you know, she was, her mouth was starting to water. She liked what she saw. Um, now I want you to remember the enemy comes as an angel of life. So the enemies are saying, it's going to be delicious. It's going to be great. It's, you should totally, totally take a bite of this. And that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. So it looked 
beautiful, and it was going to give her something, some knowledge, some understanding that she didn't have before. Uh, something she didn't have, and it looked good, and she wanted to be wise. And she took its fruit, and she ate, and then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. So they saw it, they desired it, it looked good, and they judged for themselves that it was good, and they took a bite. So what I want us to take a look at today is this ancient lie. It goes all the way back to the beginning. This lie is kind of uh, is out there in like four different ways, and that lie is trust your experiences. You can trust your conscience. You can trust your heart, and you can trust your feelings. These are four lies that we're going to take a look at today. And and if my experiences are different than what God says, some think, well, I can trust God because my experiences can't be wrong. My feelings, you know, you know, Jiminy Cricket, let your conscience be your guide. We're told this, follow your heart your whole life, right? We're told, follow your heart. Let your conscience be your guide. You know, you got to do what you feel is right. And, and these are things that we're taught our whole life. But these go all the way back to that garden. These go all the way back to that garden. So today, we're going to talk about this. And I want you to write this down when it comes to the lies that the truth about our five senses, and that is our sense of smell, our sense of touch, our sense of sight, our sense of taste and our sense of hearing is that you cannot always trust them. The truth about our senses is you cannot always trust in Proverbs 14, 12 and Proverbs 16, 25 say the exact same thing. This is what it says. There is a way that appears to be right to a man or there it appears to be right. But in the end, it leads To death, And just in case you missed it, it says it again in Proverbs 16. It says, there's a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. It's so important that it's identical, the exact same phrase in two places in Proverbs. This is a book written from a father to his son, from Solomon to his son. And he's saying, hey, listen, listen, don't trust your heart. Don't follow your... There's a way that's going to seem right to you. But in the end, it will lead you to a place you don't want to go. Many of us have experienced this. Um, reality is sometimes our senses can fool us. Let's take a look at some of these ways, how our five senses can be wrong. For example, um, have any of you ever at night going from your bed to the bathroom or getting up bumped into the bed or a wall or a door? Anybody here bump into something, Right. I would imagine if you haven't really, how about this? Have any of you, not all of you, but have any of you backed out of a parking space and hit somebody or veered off into a lane and almost, almost, you know, gotten a wreck because someone was in an area you could not see bump into something you didn't know was there. Uh, You might say, I didn't see it. Or, you know, I don't think any of you have ever been on a, in the desert, deserted, but, you know, there's what's called a mirage where you look over the, that, ex, that vast space of land and, and your mind starts to play tricks on you. you. It looks like water. It looks like trees. You, you begin to see things. It's a, called a mirage. There's, you know, the whole idea of optical illusions. If you've ever looked at an optical illusion 
or this whole idea of dimensionals, you know, where they, you know, like when you, someone's at the Leaning Tower Pisa and they're like leaning on it and it looks like they're pushing it over. That's an optical illusion. Our eyes try to make sense of the things we see, but we cannot always trust our eyes. Sight deceives us. How about taste? Have you ever have like eaten something like really, really good only to pay for it later? Montezuma comes to visit, you know, and, and, and you find out that, whoa, man, that is so good, but it hurts. It gave me heartburn. It gave me, you know, other things. And, and, and it made me feel sick. You know, we can't always trust, you know, our taste. How about our touch? You know, oh, man, that's beautiful. It's green, but it's poison ivy, you know, or maybe poison oak. You can't always trust you know, or, or it looks fine and then you touch it, you know, that, that burner that doesn't look hot, but then you touch it and you burn your hand. You, you can't always trust touch. How about smell? There are many, many families a year that die of, uh, of gas exposure in their home when they can't even smell it. We have a gas detector in our house because we have a gas oven. And, and sometimes unless it gets really strong, we can't smell the gas. And uh, when it gets really strong, if our thing's working right, it makes this horrible sound that um, is really annoying. Um, so we unplug it. <laughs> it's like, uh, that's the point. When our smoke detectors go off, we just unplug them. Smart. Uh, but we cannot trust our smell. Carbon monoxide. There are people that have actually died uh, sitting in cars or gotten very sick because they've had uh, a hole in their exhaust and it goes up into the car. You cannot trust your smell. Something that smells good or smells fine may deceive you. And what about hearing? We think, man, I love this song. So I'm going to, I'm going to crank it up. You know, there's a high, high percentage of musicians, particularly drummers and guitar players that have hearing loss because it sounds so good. Play it harder, play it louder. Play it stronger. And there's this sense that if, it, if it's not good unless it's loud, that's, that's how I see things. I've actually lost hearing in half, uh, and, and well, in one of my ears, I've got half of my hearing left. And uh, I've got very weak hearing ears, so for me, I like it loud. I crank it up. That's the only way this ear can hear stuff. And I'm like, if it's loud, it's better. But really, if it's loud, it's damaging. We cannot trust our sense of hearing to, to make decisions for us. The truth about our five senses, you cannot always trust your senses. They can deceive us. Uh, not always, but they can deceive us. So I want you to write this down. The truth about our conscience is this. Our truth is that our conscience, it cannot be trusted. Our conscience cannot be trusted. You know, Jiminy Cricket got this one so wrong. Uh, we have got to get this one right because if we don't, understand this issue of our conscience, our heart, our feelings, our experiences, this will lead you astray. I've seen countless Christians that have been led astray, uh, even non-Christians, it doesn't matter, people who have made incredibly poor decisions based upon their conscience, their heart, their experience. The Apostle Paul did not even trust his conscience. If, If the Apostle Paul, he wrote the majority of the New Testament, if he couldn't trust his conscience, well, maybe we shouldn't either. This is profoundly important. Look at this in 1 Corinthians 4, 4. He says, my conscience is clear. He says, I feel good about my choices. I have 
I have made things right with other people. I have made things right with my life and with friends or with family. I have a, I've been making what I feel are good decisions and choices. My conscience is clear. He says, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges. We will not be able to stand before God and say, but God, it felt good. It felt like it was the right thing to do. God, I was just following my conscience. I was just following my heart. But God, I was just, I was just following what I felt was the right thing to do. Paul says, you know what? It doesn't matter if your conscience is clear. When you stand before God, that is not what he's going to look at you at. He's going to look at how you responded to him as the Lord. I thought about it. And it felt like the right thing to do, but God says, no, it is the Lord who judges, not your conscience, not your decision. If we're honest, actually, we could admit that our conscience uh, is not a good thing to follow. If we're honest, because it can become very callous, as you know, and we can get used to it. To it. And there are things that maybe used to bother us, and all of a sudden they don't bother us anymore. Um, there are things that we find out that... We believed and then they turned out to be bad or or dangerous or unhealthy or hurt somebody. Or we felt very strongly about something and that was our conviction. And then we had a change of opinion or possibly it turns out that that we were completely wrong on, on what we thought. We cannot follow our conscience. It cannot be trusted. And I want you to write this down. Our conscience is a warning sign that God gave us, but it is not warning us about God's moral standards, but about our moral standards. You see, when our conscience starts beeping and going off, when we start getting concerned about our conscience, then it doesn't alarm us to God's standards. It alarms us to our own standards. It changes too much to be able to be followed. It simply tells you where you are if you're within or violating your own moral beliefs. It is completely untrustworthy. It changes too much. Wrong becomes right. Right becomes wrong. It's based on our experience. And like Adam and Eve, we look at the free and it, uh, the tree and it feels good. It looks good. It's got what we want. And it just seems right. And all of a sudden our conscience goes off, but it only aware uh, brings awareness to our own standards, not God's standards. Here's an example. I have two things here. I have. A thermometer and a thermostat. I have a thermometer and a thermostat. Now, if I were to put this in my mouth, and uh, which I just did, and uh, I hope this is clean. I think thermometers are interesting because they come out of people's mouth that are sick, and then when you use them again and again, ironic, don't you think? Um, so if I leave this in my mouth long enough, it's going to give me the temperature of my body. It's going to alarm me of a problem if there is one. It's going to set off, uh, ooh, is 100.1 bad? I'm just kidding. It doesn't say that. I'm sick. Somebody, Sean, you're on. <laughs> Here's my notes. Take it. Um, what, what a thermometer does is it alarms us of problems in our own life. It basically says you need a physician. You're broken. Something's wrong with you. You're sick. Things in you are not 
right. But a thermostat, on the other hand, it does not uh, tell me if I have a problem. It tells me if my comfort is doing all right. In fact, I, I set the thermostat to my comfort level. And, and I set the thermostat to how I'm feeling and how I want to live and how I want my environment to be. And here's the problem with the thermostat is, is that my comfort level may not be my wife's comfort level in our house, right? Now, at our house, uh, my wife is like, we have this, you know, we've been married 22 years Friday. And uh, we, uh, um, this last Friday, and we still have the same discussion on how to talk about the thermostat. There's language that I use, the language she used. 22 years of clarification still have not solved the problem. And that is, if it's hot in the house, she'll say, turn the air down, right? And I will say, turn the air up. Because to me, it means kick it up, kick it on, right? Just turn it on, turn it on. It's like, it's turning up. It's turn up the air, like turn on some air, right? For her, turn down means like turn the temperature down so that it kicks on, but it's all backwards to me. I don't get it. So when she says, could you turn the air up? I always have to clarify. Does that, does that mean like turn it on? Or does that mean like you're, you know, but the issue is, is that sometimes when she wants it on, I don't want it on. I feel great. I feel fine. I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm just perfect. You know, the, or we we're sitting in the room and we got a fan on. It's like, can you kick the fan on? And Noel's like, you know, Keep the fan on. And I'm like, it's getting cold. Turn the fan off. Turn the fan on. Turn the fan on. So throughout the night, when we're right, it's like on for 15 minutes, off for 15 minutes. Good, fortunately, it's just right there above where we sit. So, you know, lazy people, it's, you should plan out your fan switch to a couch. But here's the issue. A thermostat is set to our own comfort level. And it cannot be trusted to warn us about a standard or a problem, it only identifies with our comfort and environment, our wants. And this is what our conscience is. The God, uh, God's word is like a, a thermometer and our conscience is like a thermostat. You see, God's word identifies the problems in our life and sends a warning sign that you are sick. However, our conscience, which we try to let be our guide, which is a dangerous thing, only identifies what our own comforts are. And they change. And so we cannot trust the thermostat to guide us or to identify areas in our life that need to be changed. So what I want us to do is I want us to take a look at the thermostat and the thermometer and let God's word identify areas of change in our life. Our conscience uh, should not and cannot be our God. Jeremiah seventeen nine says, the heart is deceitful above all things. Everybody say all things. It's deceitful, uh, deceitful above all and desperately sick. Our heart is deceitful and desperately sick. Who can understand it? You won't put that on a plaque or a mug. You know, you're not going to be buying a, you know, a, a mug that says the heart is deceptively, uh, <laughs> Uh, is deceptive and desperately sick. Happy anniversary, honey. Here's a new mug, you know, your heart. It makes me sick. <laughs> but verse 10 says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind. That's the conscience. Even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds on whose voice 
he is following, on what he is walking in. If we trust our senses, our heart, or our conscience, we will be led all over the place. And then we'll wonder what happened because we were following our heart. Our heart leads us to affairs. Our heart will lead us to divorce. Our conscience, our feelings will lead us to unforgiveness, uh, will lead us to areas of revenge, will lead us to abuse and immorality. We cannot trust our five senses or our conscience. Romans 1, 21 says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Now, in Romans 1, he lists, a, lists off a whole bunch of problems that people struggle with. And he says, here's the problem. The problem is that they were following their conscience. They were following their heart. And they gotten so callous to right and wrong that God just gave them over to futility. We will stand before God and some will try to say, but God, my conscience is clear. I just messed up a little bit on this one. But God does not judge on our conscience. He judges us by his standards and through Christ. So I want to look at this ancient lie through modern day terms. We're going to fly through these. These are this ancient lie. If it feels right, how can it be wrong? Here's some of the ways that we live this out. And we're going to take a look at what the Bible says, how this plays out in our life. Uh, maybe you found yourself in one of these like I have. Here's the first one. Some might say, well, I've got peace about it. I just, I've got peace about it. Ever heard somebody say that? And I'm not talking about making decisions about ice cream or even buying a house, but this is about moral decisions, family decisions. Well, you know, it, yeah, it may not be right, but I've, I've got peace about it. I've got a peace. Uh, I, I think it's all right. You know, I don't have a problem with it. Um, I, you know, the way I look at it, it's, it's okay. Um, Judges 17 and... Uh, Chapter 21, it says this twice. It says, in those days, Israel had no king and everyone did as they saw fit. Some translations say they did what was right in their own eyes. This is the issue. Some of you, regardless of what God's word says, you're doing what is right in your own eye. You feel peace about it. And you think, if I feel peace about it and it doesn't bother me and I don't feel bad about it, then... How can it be wrong? Because I'm fine. Well, that's a hardness of heart. Our peace makes no difference unless it's calibrated by God's word. Proverbs 12, 15 says, The way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice, uh, specifically referring to God's word. Prisons are full of people who did what was right at the time for themselves. Emergency rooms are filled with people who did what they felt was right. There are broken families that have gone in separate directions because people in that family felt what they were doing was right. They just felt a peace about it. I've got peace. Well, so what? What does God, uh, does God have peace about it? That's what you need to ask. What has God spoken about this issue? That is all that matters. Here's a second way that this, this whole lie, this lie surfaces is uh, similar to the first one is this one. I prayed about it and I've got total peace about it. See, this is what a lot of Christians do. If you're a Christian in this room, this is what I, well, I've, I've prayed about it and, I, and I just, I, I've got a peace about it. 
I know it's not right. I know it's not what I should be doing. But you know what? I, I've, I've prayed about it, and I, and I feel like it's okay. You know, we, we, I've spent time with God. I've talked to some people and, and I have peace about it. Realize this. God will never contradict himself. No matter how many times we ask him about something, no matter how many friends you talk to, no matter how much counsel, no matter how much prayer you have, God will not contradict his word. It reminds me of when, when a, a, a child just keeps Asking and asking and asking and asking after mom or dad has said no. Any parents been there? Does this drive you crazy? I've said no. No is the answer. And, and your emotional plea is not going to change my decision. I have made this decision. Or we have made this decision. This is what it is. And, and it becomes frustrating because they're just not getting it in there. We do the same thing with God. Man, if I just keep asking God for this, if I keep asking and telling God that, but this is what I have to do, what I need to do, what I want to do, that somehow God is somehow going to let it slide or contradict his own word. But he wasn't. When the scriptures are clear on something, but we find peace to do it anyway, if I pray about it and I think about it, and if I sense it's okay, it's not okay because what we've done is we've just rationalized away God's word. And there are many people in the church that are guilty of this. In Numbers chapter 22 and in Joshua uh, 22 and 25 and Joshua 13 uh, and in Second Peter, there's a guy named Balaam. Uh, maybe you've heard of the guy who donkey talked to him. This is the guy. Uh, Balaam was a prophet for hire. He was a guy who heard God's voice. And uh, the enemy of the Israelites called up Balaam, got a hold of him. Not obviously on a phone, but they got a hold of him. And they said, Balaam, we will pay you money if you will come out and curse the Israelites for us. Because we want to attack. And we want to take them down. And uh, we know that you have power. We know that you have a hotline to God. So will you come and you, you know, so Balaam, he prays to God. He says, God, is it okay if I go over there, you know, and teach the Israelites a lesson and, and prophesy against him with the enemy? And God says, no way. So he asks again, and God says, no way. So Balaam says, well, maybe God needs to think about it. So he gets on a donkey, he gets on a mule, and he goes on his way to meet this king. And on the way, God tries to stop him with some angels, but He can't see the angels. Only the donkey can see the angels. So all of a sudden, he's going to this narrow passageway, and the angels are stopping him, saying, God told you no. And uh, he can't see him, but the donkey sees him. So the donkey starts getting crazy. He keeps bumping against the wall because he doesn't want to go through because he's scared of what he sees. And so Balaam starts beating his donkey, like beating, like, come on, what's wrong with you? And then all of a sudden, God unlocked the mouth of that donkey and gave him a voice supernaturally. And the donkey says, yo, dude, stop hitting me. It's kind of Ted Blair's version. But he actually did say, why are you hitting me? And then all of a sudden, his eyes were open to the angels. And they said, you need to stop what you're doing. And Balaam says, let me pray about it. And guess what he did? He went on. He had peace about it. And he went on to that, to that king. And then he gets there again. The king says, I'll give you more money. He says, let me pray about it. And he did it again. He prayed and God says, no way. 
So you know what he does? He comes back. He says, God says, I can't, but I'll tell you how you can ruin their life. I'm going to give you some insight on their weaknesses. God told them not to do this and this and this. Well, just do those things and they'll fall apart. So in, in many ways, even though there was very clear word, and this is what it says. Uh, in fact, you find the story again in Revelation 214, it says, nevertheless, I have, he's all over. This is a, this character, Balaam is all over the Bible. Um, in Revelation two, he's mentioned, nevertheless, I have a few things against you talking about one of the churches there says that there are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin. So they ate food, sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. He says, there's some of you that have a, like the spirit, this attitude, the sin of Balaam. He says, you pray about things and then you still ignore what God says about it. And then you go ahead and do it anyways. That's the spirit of Balaam. That's the, some of you are so guilty of this. You, you know what God says and you're praying about it and, and you're trying to get some way around it and you know God is clear on something and, but you, you still have embraced that it's okay. You know, you feel like, God, that dog next door is barking. He won't stop. God, can I kill him? That uh, seems kind of harsh. But you think, but God, he barks all night. And you think, well, that, that dog, uh, you know, in your life, maybe a person, maybe a situation, maybe your finances, maybe a relationship, maybe uh, that you say that you're in love with somebody. And you're like, I know, God, you said not to do X, Y, Z, but I just feel peace about it. I prayed about it and I still feel peace about it. Well, that's the spirit of Balaam. Here's another one. Another way we, we walk this out is we say this, this is, well, it's what everybody else does. It's what everybody else is doing. I've got quite a few passages there in your notes. It starts off as a kid. You know, if you, if you've had a kid or a child who, who starts feeling the pressure of having to fit in, you'll hear it. You'll see it. Well, you know, this is what everybody else does. It's, it's what they do. It's, it's what the other kids are wearing. You know, I remember, man, I'll tell you, uh, don't shout me down. We watch Disney channel and, uh, and we, you know, it's, it's in Nickelodeon, that sort of stuff. And uh, our kids are getting older, but, you know, I still, I still like Disney Channel. And, uh, but there was a thorn in our side years ago in the 90s, uh, or, no, early 2000s with uh, Kim Possible. And uh, I don't, anybody remember Kim Possible? All right, Midriff Kim Possible. Um, it was in, you know, it was a time when the Midriff shirts were like really popular, you know, and apparently there had to be a cartoon with, with a belly button on the, on the lead girl. So, uh, Kim Possible, fun cartoon, fun show, got to meet her at Disney World, all that jazz. But Noel <laughs> would wear her shirts up all the time. Like, get your shirt down. What's wrong with you? You know, I didn't say that, but that's what I'm thinking. She's like, well, you know, she just wanted to be like Kim Possible, right? And then, you know, her friends, you know, and other clothes, you go out on the streets, you go to the mall. People that should not be wearing midriff are wearing midriff. I hear it's coming back. Note to self. Just note to self. <laughs> and I'm thinking, you know what? Just because everybody's doing it, just because Kim Possible's doing it, <laughs> doesn't mean that it's something that we want to do. Uh, and everyone is going. Everyone's doing it. Everyone's going to be there. And as adult, we do the exact same thing. Only we say it to ourselves. Well, this is the norm. This is how everyone does it now. This is how everyone believes. This is, this is how the things 
get done. This is how the job gets accomplished. If our standards are taken from the majority, we will miss God, period. God does not lead by a survey or a poll. We live in a fallen world. We cannot let the world lead the way on our life. We saw this last week. Uh, We unpacked this whole idea that we have a problem. Every one of you have a problem. You are born with a terrible, terrible disease called sin. This sin nature means that we are broken physically and we are broken morally. We are broken spiritually and we are broken people. And, and as much as we would like to follow our heart, our conscience, uh, humanism says that at the core of human beings, we are good. But history says just the opposite. We're anything but good. We're destructive. We're vile. We're perverted. We're destructive. And, and we're, we're violent and we're murderous. We're an adulterous people. We, are, we look out for ourselves primarily. Humanism has got it all wrong. You are not the answer because we're broken inside. We are broken people. We have a bent towards disobedience, towards rebellion, towards selfishness. Ephesians 4, 17 says it this way. In 18, it says, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. He says that you must no longer live as the Gentiles. That means those that are not believers, those that, that do not know Jesus. Don't think of your life in terms of what the world is doing. He says, in the futility of their thinking, their decisions, their processes, their morals, their guides, their culture, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. You see, this world has got a broken, broken, broken heart. A broken view of life. We get, we get snapshots or glimmers of something good every now and then because I believe God is, has put his thumbprint on our soul and on our being and, and we're crying out for something better. But apart from Jesus, our conscience, our heart will be led astray. Well, they say, but, but they, they, they spend their money like this or they live like this or they talk like this and they, they do these things. How can it be wrong? Well, it's because they don't understand God. They have a hard heart. Remember, our heart is deceptively wicked and, and, and terribly sick. So here's another way that we, we, we rationalize this whole, if it can, how can it be wrong if it feels right? Is uh, Number four is that this is how God made me. You ever heard this one? Well, well, this is how God made me. This is who I am. Here's the problem. Going back, we were born into a broken world, world with broken people, with broken morals and broken physical bodies. Uh, can we really trust how we were born? I mean, think about it. I was born completely incapable of taking care of myself. I was pooping in my clothes and sleeping all day and I had food all over my face at all times. Should I go through life just like that? No. Well, that's how God made God made me. And I was pooping in my pants. Why can't I keep pooping in my pants? God made me and I've got food all over my face. Because we mature, we grow. We realize that that's not healthy. That's not right. And God is not the one who causes people to be born with deformities and handicaps. We live in a fallen and broken world and we strive to fix things because we realize it's broken. But when it comes somehow to our own moral standards, we want to embrace, well, that's just, the way I was born. We often look at our sinful attitudes, our habits and our desires and claim, well, that's how God made uh, made me. Well, Well, realize this, we were born bent. 
we're born with a leaning towards the wrong choices, the wrong decisions. We are leaning towards sin in our in our life. First Peter four says this in one and two. It says, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourself also with the same attitude. Get ready to suffer. Because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. He says, you know what? You know it's going to be hard to overcome sin in your life. He says, as a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for human desires, but rather for the will of God. See, our natural desires are not godly. Our natural desires will lead us astray. We cannot rely on our five senses to always tell us the truth. A strong tendency and a strong drive does not mean God wants you to do it or that you were made to live that way. And this is, this is a very difficult thing to embrace for some because God loves you very, very, very much. And he came into this world so that we could be free from our sin nature, our brokenness. He came as the great physician to heal us of our disease, of our bent towards selfishness. But there comes a time when we have to, as a believer, if you are a believer, you have to turn from these desires that are against God's plan and realize that it's going to be hard to live the will of God. Let me give you a few examples of this. Um, I'm going to give you an obvious example. I'm sure some of you guys are already thinking about, and this is uh, homosexuality. The assumption is, If I have that drive, I must fulfill that drive to be fully human or to feel normal. But that drive, that tendency does not mean that you were born that way. It just means we are born sinful people. We're all born sinful. That that might be the cross that you bear. That might be the struggle that that the enemy comes at you with. There there are different struggles and issues. Here's some other areas. I'm going to tie them all together. It says, well, I was... Because some people can be born, there's actually kids, and you know, that are born addicted to drugs. Uh, Meth babies and crack babies who are born with an addiction to crack or drugs or meth or alcohol. Does that mean because they were born with a leaning or bent towards that behavior that they should just give into it? Uh, How about someone who has um, a strong attraction to minors? Uh, I'm going to get a little weird here. So there are some people that have attraction to animals. Just because they have those desires, that tendency, does that mean they should give in to them? Uh, how about this? How about if you're, if you're uh, heterosexual, but you have an incredibly strong sexual drive with people? Does that mean that everywhere you go, you should just give in to that drive, get in, give in to that tendency? If you're married, does that mean that, you know, when you get married, it doesn't mean you don't find other people pretty anymore. But you have to choose that you're going to be faithful. You have to choose that you're going to live according to God's plan for your life to keep that marriage safe. And you're going to make decisions and choices that are not easy to keep that marriage pure. Because in your life, we have a bent towards destructive, lustful behaviors. There are some in this room that have a boy or girlfriend and 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 you you want to move in together well you love each other you know it just you know we 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 want we're going to get married friends with benefits but she's going to be deployed or he's going to be deployed and and you know it just it just seems right it just feels right and and you know what it's how god made us god made me a sexual being and i've just got to do it it's how god made me we're we're born broken we're born with a 
bent towards destructive, unhealthy behavior. It's like fits of rage. Well, when you know, I have people that, well, I'm just Irish. No, you're not. You're a jerk. Just because you have a tendency in your life or drive in your life, it does not mean that that is the way that God wants you to live. And that's and doing that is not going to make you feel normal. In fact, it'll make you even more hungry and feel more empty. A strong drive does not give us the right to fulfill it. Doing them will not bring approval because you're broken. When we choose not to change, and you say that's just the way I am, The enemy wins. As opposed to trusting God to shape you and knowing that it will be difficult. It's what Galatians 6, 7, and 8 says. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. If you live it, it's going to come back. Whatever sows, uh, whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh, they're going to reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life. See, there's in the Bible's man, the Bible's so clear on the struggle. It is it is not always a walk in the park to live for Christ. It is a struggle. But thank God we have the Holy Spirit, if you are a Christian, to give you life and encouragement and friends to wrap their arms around you and lock hands with you and to walk with you. Just because you have that feeling, that drive, that issue, that struggle does not mean that God made you that way. Here's a fifth thing is uh, some say, well, I'm just not there yet. Someone say, I get it. I hear the Bible, Ted. I hear what you're saying. I understand those verses. That's great, but I'm just not there yet. Well, um, what it means when you say that is I know it's right, but I'm just not feeling it right now. It's like, ugh, what? I'm just, I'm just, I'm just not there right now. I just want to say, well, get there. Because as long as you're using that excuse, you're going to be messing around with what God has for your life. Matthew 19 uh, tells us about a story about a guy who, uh, who was wealthy. He was a rich young man. Uh, we don't know how he became wealthy. We don't know how old he was, but he was called the rich young ruler or the rich young uh, man. And uh, here comes this guy. He comes up to Jesus. He's a good person. He does a lot of things right. He follows the, the, the Ten Commandments. He does it all right. And he says, Jesus, I feel like I've done everything that I need to do to be a good person. My conscience is clear. What do I need to enter the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus, knowing his heart, knowing what his white knuckle struggle was, he told this man, he says, here's what you need to do. This isn't for everybody here. He says, but this is what you need. You need to sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. Well, the Bible says that this rich young man walked away sad because he could not let go of what he knew was right. You see, when you know what is right and you're just not there yet, see, that's kind of the idea. The rich young ruler, Jesus says, sell everything and give it to the poor and follow me. And he's like, man, I'm just not there yet, Jesus. On your next tour, maybe I will be. Next Sunday, maybe I will be. Next time I hear that teaching, maybe I will be. But I'm just not there yet. And he didn't walk away happy. He didn't walk away fulfilled or excited or looking forward to the next day. He walked away sad. He walked away depressed. Because when 
you know the truth and you do not follow it, it will lead you to a place of, of discontent. You see, when we say, I call the shots for our life, we are saying we are our own moral compass, not God. Don't tell me what to do. Let me, let me, if we, if we had this attitude in other areas of life, this is what it might look like. If we said, you know what, there, there's laws against uh, using a phone in Richardson, right? If you guys live in Richardson and if you're uh, uh, in a school zone. So if you're driving and uh, in the school zone in Richardson and you have your phone on, you can get a ticket. And, and if a police officer were to pull me over and I've got my phone on, he's, I'm like, I'm, hey, I was, you know, going 20, so I'm cool. But he pulls me over. I'm like, hold on a second. And I got to go, man, police officers. Yeah, <laughs> tell me about it. All right. So hang up. And he's like, you know, you're on the phone. He goes, you know, it's against the law. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I understand. I, I know it's wrong, but I'm just not there yet. He'd say, oh, no problem, man. Next time you're around, you know, hopefully you're feeling it. Now, how about if, if I... If I get pulled over and I say, well, I'm just not, I'm just not there yet. How about, um, how about if you tell your boss, you know, if he says, all right, this assignment is due this Friday. Or how about this? Just be at work at eight o'clock. I'm just not there yet, man. I'm a late night. I'm a night owl, man. I just, I like to, I don't even get up until like 10 o'clock. I'm just not there yet. He's like, hey, that's cool. Just come in whenever you're ready. No, he you fire your hind in. How about a teacher? Hey, this assignment is due this Thursday. Ah, oh, man, Thursday. Man, that's my, that's my TV night. I cannot work on that uh, Wednesday night and turn it in on Thursday. I just, man, I'm just, I'm just not there yet. I'm just not there yet. Well, you'd probably fail out of school. How about if your parents told you the curfew was 12? That's a late curfew. And they, and you go, I'm, just not feeling it, Dad, Mom. I'm just, that's cool. I, I'm just not there yet. Well, they probably wouldn't be going anywhere. Why do we think it's okay to continually tell God, God, I know what I need to do, but I'm just not there yet. James 4, 17 says, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and he doesn't do it, it is a sin for them. That's out of James. We do it with money. We do it with forgiveness. Well, I'm just not ready to forgive yet. I'm just not there yet. When I was talking about money. You know, you know, God has called us as Christians to be faithful givers. Ah, I'm just not there yet. You know, when it comes to serving, you know, we need, you know, as a church body, if you're a Christian and this is your church, this is the place you're to get plugged in. You're to, every one of you who called this your home, this is where you're supposed to serve on the weekend. And you say, I'm just not there yet. You know, I know I should, but I'm just not there. <laughs> we'll get there. Okay, or you're going to walk away discouraged and dismayed and wonder why God isn't with you because you're in disobedience. You're walking in rebellion. Here's, oh yeah, need some music for this one. Thanks, Chris. Here's the last one. Our situation is unique. My or our situation is unique. I've got some verses there and this is what people tell me. Well, I know what God says. But my situation is just a little different. There's an exception. Uh, You know, God responds, oh, man, I didn't realize that your situation was so unique. I I never saw that before. I never saw that situation. Some people, they, they are just convinced that their situation is so unique 
And that somehow God missed it. And just because the right thing to do is the hard thing to do does not mean that God does not want you to do it. Let me say that again. Just because the right thing to do is the hard thing to do, it does not mean that God does not want it done. Here's a classic example. Couples that live together, our situation is unique. We've got insurance issues. We've got, you know, financially, it's just not good for us. You know, uh, we've got, I get extra child support. I get, you know, extra income. I get welfare. I've had many couples tell me that. All right, we just can't afford to live moral lives. We just can't, you know, some would say, well, we're, we're planning on marriage, but, you know, we don't have enough money. I'm in school right now. Um, you know, well, by, basically you're saying, God, you just don't understand my situation. You say you know what's right or what's best for me, but you don't understand because it feels right. I've prayed about it. I've got peace. If it feels right, God, it can't be wrong. But God says, you know what? You cannot be your own thermostat to your dilemmas, to your own issues. The enemy comes along and says, well, it's not easy, so you you probably shouldn't do it. The enemy comes along and says, well, everyone else is doing it. It's the norm. The Bible is just so old-fashioned. What's the big deal? The enemy comes along and says, well, God loves you. He just wants you happy. No, he doesn't want you happy. He wants you to walk in his will where you find joy. Happiness is based on what happens in your life. And if you're trying to live to be happy, you will never be truly happy because you'll have life, things that happen that will steal that happiness. But joy is constant through Christ, regardless of what happens. He wants you to walk in joy. If you don't feel bad, then you think, what's the big deal? Well, the end result is you find yourself like Adam and Eve, driven out of their own garden, missing what God had designed for them. So I want to end with this thought. I want to end with a positive note because some of you guys are thinking, well, man, what a downer. (laughs) I feel like I've been beat up. I feel like, you know, you just like address so many areas that I'm like, uh, you know, in, in denial about. Well, I want to end with one final thought on recalibrating our conscience, recalibrating our conscience. I want you to write this down. Our conscience is only trustworthy when it's aligned with these three things, the Bible, the Holy Spirit, and wise counsel. There are times you can trust that voice in your head or follow your heart as long as it is aligned with one of those three or with all those three. Romans 12.1, this is my wife's favorite two verses. In Romans 12.1 and 2, it says this. It says, therefore, I urge you, I'm pleading, I'm asking you passionately, I'm urging with you, brothers and sisters, listen, in view of God's mercy, in light of the cross, in light of what God has done for you, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. He says, you know what? Singing songs is great. Making some noise and clapping, that's great. But he says, true worship is when your life, your body, when you give God your life, when you walk your, your, when you walk out your life in honor of him in a way that honors him by his standards, not by our standards. He says, when you live, when you offer your life, your body, the things that you do as worship, he says, man, that's real. That's real worship. 
And then he tells us how to do this. He says, don't conform to the pattern of this world. Man, that tears down some of those excuses. Don't think like they do. Don't pattern your life after if it feels good, it can't be wrong. Don't pattern your life after those things while our situation is unique or it just feels right or I have peace. Or He says instead, he says, but be transformed, be morphed, metamorphosis. Bugs Life, Disney, years ago. But he is transformed. The word there is metamorphi, which is where we get the word metamorphosis. The idea is that, that we are internally changed. He says, how? By the renewing of your mind. Not by your feelings, not by your heart, not by your, you're not changed by following your conscience. You're changed by allowing God to change the way you think inside. He says, then, everybody say then. If you have your Bible, you should circle that word then. It says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. He says, only when you get your, your brain wrapped around God's view of life, only then when your mind starts looking at life through the mind of Christ, only then will you be able to test and approve what God wants for you. His will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Only then, when we stop following our heart and start following the will of God. What a great promise, man. If I allow God to work in me, to change my views and to change my walk, that I'll be able to identify his good and perfect and pleasing will for my life. What a great promise. See, garbage in, garbage out. If we put in garbage and we start to live that garbage, but if we put in training our mind after God's word, our habits, allowing God's word to change the way we think and view our life. Will the world, our actions, our opinions will all of a sudden be shaped by those things. And here's a dilemma among church folks. Now, if you're not a a Christian in this room, I'm glad you're here. I want you to know that that we're not perfect and and, uh, we, we strive to be more like Christ. And sometimes we have failed at being a model of his love, a model of his grace, but we should take very seriously as, as a Christian uh, how God wants us to walk and live. And, and for some of you, this has been a problem with you, and that is you haven't had your mind transformed because you never read the Word. You never, you, I mean, the la- that's, how, that's how your Bible is. You blow the dust off of it every six months when you start feeling bad. The only time you read it is when it's on the screen behind me. And, and some of you, you, it, you can't have your mind transformed that way. It's got to be a daily journey to let God put his life in you. So here's the last thing I want to end with. The second Timothy three sixteen. This is how we do it. This is how we do it. It says this verse 16, all scripture is inspired by God. Okay. Talking about the old Testament and the new Testament. And it is profitable. That means it's really good for you. You're going to get spiritually rich and it's good for this, for training. That means to shine the light on something you didn't know. And for reproof, that means the Bible will scold you. It's like a spanking. Some of you guys maybe felt one of those today. For correction, that means to fix and improve. That means a remodeling of the way you look at life. A re, uh, for correction and for training in righteousness. That means instruction and guidance on what is right and how to live. So the man of God and the woman of God may be adequate or fully equipped That means ready and prepared for every good work. That is what God has for you. So I want to challenge you today. God's word shapes us, directs us, 
calibrates us. But when we ignore it, then we're placing ourselves on the throne of our own life, shaping ourselves. You see, the subtle lie of the enemy is, if it feels right, it can't be wrong. That is a lie of the enemy. But God's word is our thermometer. God's word is our thermometer. And hopefully today you saw your temperature rise. Hopefully today you saw a little beep go off. And for some of you, you have identified a problem in your life. But some of you instead, you chose to ignore and you set your comfort level at irritated. And you're going to walk out of here the same. So what I would challenge you to do today is don't follow your conscience, but follow the spirit. And watch how much more fulfilling and joyful your life is. Let's pray. God, thank you so much, uh, Lord, that your word is true. That you, that God, you desire good things for us. And uh, God, I know there's probably some of us, myself included, that have areas of life that, uh, that we need to be honest about. God, areas in our life that we know need to be different. And these aren't things that that determine how much you love us. Because, God, you love us regardless. But these are things that do determine our course in our life and our walk with you. God, I pray that you give us the honesty, the transparency to truly listen. God, let our heart be aligned with your heart. Let our conscience be aligned with your will. Let our feelings be tempered with peace and grace. Just for a moment, I want you just to talk to God for a moment. Just right where you are. Just say, you know what? Talk to God. God, I've got some areas in my life that that I know that are not right. Father, give me, give me everything I need to overcome these and to be honest with you about them. Some of you, you need to ask God to forgive you of your sin. Say, God, forgive me. I want to start over. I, I have messed up. And he's good. He, he loves you. He will forgive you. Some of you go ahead and say, God, forgive me. You know what that is. Maybe you need to tell him what it is. God, forgive me for, and you just tell him what it is. You, your, your heart had become callous to it, but now it's becoming soft again. Thank you for listening to the Living with Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.